even if you're not going to law school in LA or New York or Atlanta or Miami or wherever you want to work, I would seriously love the opportunities of doing semesters in those cities where we have lots of students in our class where I'd be like, hey, uh, oh yeah, I'm at you know University of Michigan, but I'm doing a semester here. Or I mean, I'm from Atlanta, but I'm doing a semester here. Or all the people who did the study abroad through Southwest, those were the opportunities to oh, get. Oh yeah. The Love and Order Podcast with your host, Laurier Lamore. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The opinions expressed on this podcast are not legal advice that can be relied on. They are based solely on the limited information provided. These opinions do not create any attorney-client relationship. Those seeking legal advice should contact an attorney in the appropriate jurisdiction and practice area. The biggest scam in American politics? A twice-impeached president elected with a minority of the popular vote appointed three lifetime members to the Supreme Court who were confirmed by a majority of the Senate representing a minority of the population. Today is June 24th, 2022, a month away from JLo's birthday. And why is that relevant? Because our guest today was also born on July 24th, former senior counsel of business leader business affairs at Viacom and current vice president of business affairs. Wow. Of business affairs at NBC. And why do I forget and fumble? Because Jennifer C. Duval is my best friend. And when I told her to be on the podcast, what did she do? She came on looking like a Kardashian. Okay. With the most beautiful face the most beautiful hair, the most beautiful and perfect background. And of course, it's something only your best friend would do to you. So I guess it's allowed. I guess it's allowed. It's fine. It's fine. I'm so happy to have you, Jennifer. You know, no one really knows this, but we tried to do a podcast at one point and it would have been amazing. Yes. It would have blown up. And what happened? Jennifer decided to move from LA to New York, but it's okay because she found the love of her life and got married. So it's okay. It's fine. And Lawyer Lamore <laughs> to the end of the world. And I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I love you so much. And you know, I'm really mad because we went out to dinner last night. We planned the podcast. And what happened? A bunch of men ruined. And one, and one uh, not so smart woman ruined it ruined it for us and today Roe v Wade was overturned and you know we spoke already about this privately just because you know it had nothing to do with the podcast it was basically what the f just happened how do you feel what what is going on in your head honestly this is not a surprise and I think I've already processed these emotions when Trump was first elected because Mm -hmm. knowing that the seats would have been open and may she rest in peace. Ruth Bader Ginsburg seat was going to be open. Like we saw the writings on the wall. Um, now that it's a reality for everyone, it's like now re going through the emotions again. I am not shocked at all. I'm extremely disappointed in the surprise of everyone because if you didn't think this was coming and you think you live in your little world that I'm only, you know, one issue voting or, you know, looking at, well, this is what benefits me as a sole person in this country and not looking at your overall community, including women and women who voted. And here we are. And now we're faced with the consequences of our actions. 
That's a really, really good point, because what did people think when they were voting for Trump? What did you think was going to happen? I recently spoke with someone who said, well, you know, a lot of people voted for Trump because of economics. Huh? What? What are you talking? What are you talking about? There were others. (laughs) (laughs) I got a C in economics 101. So if somebody could explain to me what they mean by economics, that would be great. Because obviously that went right over my head. But what is matters to me right now is, you know, some people make the comments of like, what, what is this going to mean for our children? But what does it mean for us? Right. This is a life we have to live in now. Like our parents, our past childbearing ages, like what does this mean for us? And the reality is we can consider ourselves um, privileged to be in the coastal elites where, you know, it's still left to the States and California and I'm from New York are still very much um, liberal leaning. And I don't see a real uh, change in the immediate future for abortion rights in California and New York, but who knows, you know, and I don't know, it could just change so quickly. So, yeah. Yeah. And who knows is, is that's the scariest part. Because we're just at the beginning of this. We're just at the very, very, very beginning of it. And, you know, L.A., New York, you're right. It may not affect us as much as other places. But I think that people have lost the bigger picture, right? There's no empathy. There's no understanding. It's just what you described. It's very selfish, right? A selfish way of thinking. Um, And I, I still... We've talked about this too. I still have PTSD from the Trump presidency. Of course. I don't know if it's even post because we're still in it. It's traumatic stress disorder. It's not post yet. Yeah. Uh, so I also think I, I need to say, because I'm the one who forced you into this politics talk, or I'm going to blame it on the Supreme Court, but I think we need to say that these views are your own. You don't represent any current or former employers and... We're done with that. We're done with it. I think we all need to also sit with the decision for a while. I think you're right that it's uh, you shouldn't be shocked by this. Right. We also had a leaked opinion. Right. right? That that was confirmed, wasn't confirmed, whatever it was. Um, So uh, that's that. That's that. Now, for everyone who doesn't know, Jenny and I met in law school and I get so many questions about law school. And for the most part, I saw that I avoid them, but I like to answer the very specific ones in my DMs instead of, you know, making uh, different TikToks or whatever about the topic. But having you here, I think we have to talk about it. Great. Listen, law school, how would you sum up that experience in life? Uh, in, in, In just a few words, how would you sum it up? I would sum it up as the squid game, but you make it out alive. Okay. Fairly, but you make it out of life. (laughs) It was. And look, it's maybe a lot more rosy now looking back on it than when we were in it. I think it's been a long time. We've been out for nine years and the world has changed and things has changed and technology has changed. Um, But for people like you and I, and I think for the vast majority of people who go to law school or even higher education in their master's, you know, do it because they, to a degree, enjoy school and do well in school, enjoy class. And for people who do well and, you know, I've always kind of 
thought that school was their thing, the first semester of 1L in law school quickly humbles you to understand that you know nothing. You are never smart. <laughs> you will never be smart. And then you get to three years and then you pass the bar and you become, an, you know, you become an attorney and then you realize that that was mostly a lot of imposter syndrome and you know, all of that. But um, it was the single most humbling experience in my entire life. Wow. <laughs> wow. I will co-sign that. And it's so funny, Jenny, because you know, why am I calling you Jenny? You're Jennifer. Jennifer, Jenny. You're my, you're Jennifer. For Jennifer today, yes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) For me, when I started law school, I thought I would do family law. And then I thought, let me do entertainment. Then I met the kids who were doing entertainment or they, they strived to be in the entertainment um, legal field. And I'm like, you guys are disgusting. (laughs) I am going into family law because you are all disgusting. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think that I think especially going to school in Los Angeles, like in the center of the city, also fed into a very some can view a toxic culture of like the crabs in the barrel. Everybody is fighting for just a couple of positions, right, across the industry, and it's a very much you know back then it still is it's evolved I think, but. Um, a good old boys club, right? That if you didn't mm-hmm. know anyone or if you weren't the son or goddaughter or whoever of name, executive producer, showrunner, head of the studio, you didn't have a shot into getting in. Um, the internet has broke down a lot of those boundaries and being able to access and network in a real way that if you're just not simply born into it, you can just forge your way into it, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. I, when I moved to LA, I had never even been to LA before going to law school and started Southwestern. And it was like, I think I made a mistake. (laughs) I think I messed up big time, but you know, this was 2009, 2010. So Instagram was just starting out as a thing. Like I had a Twitter and was like Mm. very active there. And Facebook was Facebook, the old school Facebook, but the, LinkedIn kind of started, but you had to network the old school way. And I joined all the bar associations and there was a black bar association called the Langston Bar and they held events all the time. And I was like, look, I'm going to get there. I'm not going to really ask. I'm just going to show up. And can I work the sign in sheet or can I fold whatever? And once you become helpful enough, I was luckily identified as somebody who really wanted to do this and contribute in a real way. And basically was, you know, told, you know, there was an internship open at BET, which is a part of Viacom Media Networks, would you be interested in applying? And I was like, yeah. So I applied and I started the job and again, knew nothing. This is again, when intern paid $0 and I knew that I wanted it more than anybody else. Showing up on days that I wasn't wasn't even on the calendar. We were sharing desks. I was the first one there. I was going to be the last one out. It didn't matter. School didn't matter. Money didn't matter. I was going to do anything. Now, not even saying that's the right way to do it because I made a lot of mistakes, but I was going to be the hungriest person there. And it ended up getting me the job right after the bar. So learn from my mistakes. Do better than <laughs> <what> I did. <laughs> You from law school till now are always the person that if anyone um, wants to break in 
to the entertainment legal field, they come directly to you. I mean, I get DMs, texts, phone calls. Can you get me in touch with Jennifer? I sent Jennifer a LinkedIn message. Can you let make her check it? And I'm like, <laughs> okay, guys. And she, I will answer them all. Yes, yes. We have, listen, all. let me tell you, that is a problem. I know. That you I know. I and know. I both have. Okay. I've showed you some of the DMs that I get. Yes. And I respond to them like, send me your resume. Who am I going to send it to? You want to be a Supreme Court justice? Sure. I'll, I'll figure it out for you. <laughs> like what? What? But it's it's amazing. It's amazing that, that people now have access to us because I didn't have an older attorney I could go to, someone more experienced that I could just message. Right. It was a cold email and it was so awkward and you had to proofread it and ugh, gross. Right. I am going to tell you a story that I, I think, you know, but maybe you don't know, but you'll, I think you'll find it funny. So when I was the president of the Black Law Student Association when we were at school, and one of the reasons I even knew what Southwestern was because of Sean Chapman Holly. Yes. And I was obsessed with her and I followed every single case and I knew like she was it for me. Right. And we, I think we called it um, the Outstanding Alumni Award. Like we just, we just made up something to be able to honor her. And it was, she came to campus, she spoke. It was the greatest thing ever. Um, but prior to that, again, this is so random, but you remember where I lived on the yeah. on Park, you know, I lived in Park La Brea. Yeah, yeah. There was a nail shop right on Wilshire. So I was getting a pedicure and Sean Holly walks in and she's getting a pedicure too. So I was like, I don't, should I, this is 2011. I was like, should I say something? Should I not say something? That's weird because she has no idea who I am. And this is like her coming to get her nails done. Like whatever. I emailed her as like, I'm just a law student and I am a nobody and I'm a do nothing. And, you know, I just want you to know that I've been following you and that I came to law school here because you went here and all that. And she wrote me the sweetest message back. And I feel like if Sean Holly can respond, Jennifer Duval can too. <laughs> wow. Jennifer, did you say anything to her at the nail salon? No, oh. I did. I was petrified. I was petrified, but I also was like, this could also go very badly. And like, what, like security? So I was like, I knew what I was going to say in an email. And again, like, I was like, I don't have, like, I, as Holly or whatever, like, I just, search or whatever I made made it up and just kind of shot in the dark nowhere but like that's the kind of dedication and hunger that I wish I saw in more people and when I do I identify with myself like yeah I was you one at one point so how can I help I love that I love that and you were really really smart when it came to well when it comes to everything but paying your way through law school I remember you were applying to every grant and scholarship things that people didn't even know and yeah. you did it strategically yeah yeah I mean again I was kind of going through it blindly but every day there was a fee there was a this there was a mm, something mm, and I was mm. like you know I took out loans and everything but even that I'm like the bar scholarships or the um 
the uh, Black Law Student Essay Scholarship, the, the, the secret or the behind the curtain that people don't really appreciate about scholarships is that so few people even actually apply. Your chances of getting it are so high that you just have to put yourself in the running. So when, you know, when people say, oh, you know, I'm, she gets everything or she, why does she, because she applied or he applied or they applied. Like, mm -hmm. That's usually the reason why I can guarantee you my applications, my essays were no Mozart, Picasso work of art, but I just applied. And that was the difference between getting a check in the mail and not. Yes. Yes. I think the thing with you is you always go for it. You always try. And, and most of the, I want to say 99% of the time, or if not a hundred, <laughs> You get exactly what you go after. I've seen it. I that's the way I see it. I don't know. I, I feel like I've witnessed that with you. I'm definitely not a hundred percent, but I will say that I'm very intentional about what I want to do and kind of placing myself in the way of doing it. Um, I don't give too much credit. A lot of it can just be right place, right time, and a little bit of luck, but. I mean, even just going back, making the move, you know, again, I was a total Northeast girl. Like I'm New York. I was could have stayed up there and I could have went to Brooklyn Law and I could have been very happy and comfortable and had the support of my friends and my family. But I took a leap blindly. And, you know, even when I stayed at Viacom for the time as a 2L up through graduation, it was one, because they would have me. But two, you know, I made a decision or I took the risk to say, if I don't get any other experience, this is where I'm going to have to land. I'm going to have to make sure that I'm doing whatever I can to make this work because there wasn't a firm job waiting for me at the end of the graduation stage. There wasn't a job at the DA's office or PD office or a personal injury firm. So I was going to have to make it work regardless. And that was the kind of like hustle mentality that, listen, if my parents were not funding a Malibu Barbie lifestyle for me to live in LA, if I, I was right back at New York, which is, privilege at that to be able to know that I always had a home somewhere to go to and I acknowledge that and I so appreciate that but I was going to make it work regardless and I don't know 12 years later I'm still here <laughs> 12 years later you are still here and we've been attorneys for almost 10 years one decade I'm still shocked I, I can't believe it I can't I'm believe it shocked. I can't believe it. Whenever someone is looking for like a senior answer, you know, somebody's looking for, and I'm like, oh, they, they mean, they mean let, me, let me go ahead and reply because I'm looking for the adults in the room and it actually, it's, it's me. So that's so it's weird. literally us. It yeah. is literally us. It's so weird. It's so weird. And for those who don't know, 1L is a first-year law student. 2L is a third-year. 3L is a third-year, your final year. And you could do different, you know, you could do it in four years. You can do it in two years. You can do yes. it only at night. You can do it during the day. You know, there's so many different paths. But Jennifer, can you walk us through what a day in the life for you is as an entertainment attorney, because a lot of people ask me to do a day in the life of, um, of myself, right. Being a, an owner of a firm and I do family law and I litigate, you don't litigate, right. So there's a difference. Um, and I always, I tell people, listen, I can't take the cameras into the courtroom. It's not Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard. So I can't show you that. Um, and most of my day is on the computer, on the phone, writing, 
speaking to people and I can't have you guys listen to the conversation. You can't listen in on the conversation. Um, so entertainment attorneys for the most part are do transactional work, right? The work that I do is transactional. Yes. 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 There is an entertainment litigation world. There's an IP world. There's entertainment tax law, immigration, but the world that I'm in, Mm -hmm. which is television production is, um, a hundred percent transactional. For the purpose of this conversation, NBC does um, bifurcate the groups between business affairs and legal affairs. Some of the studios like at Viacom do combine the two, but I am a lawyer, NBC, I am in the business affairs role, which means that I do um, the deal making for the unscripted shows on the television and streaming platforms. Um, I love the day in the life transparency that like TikTok has opened, especially for the, in my opinion, more fun and glamorous like tech jobs because it opens up like, oh, I didn't even know that you could do this at Google yeah. or at Netflix or whatever. Like it's, I, 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 I think that's one of the huge upsides that have come out from the kind of opening the curtains behind um, some of these jobs. And, you know, like you, I can't, the specifics, but I think if I were to sum it up in one sentence, I, um, in my role and the fulcrum of the business, all the other departments. So I work very closely with legal affairs, marketing, creative production, finance, and, and that middle slot to where everyone can come for information. So once a deal, once a show is bought and we take it into development. That's where I come in to make the deal, whoever the person or production company is. And if there are any attached to talent, I do that as well. Once that series light, we go into current and I monitor that as well. So, and that can be literal day-to-day talent relation. Um, and social media live in that can go from anywhere to tweets to dressing rooms to you know interviews and the reunions that we shoot and it becomes a um personal or person-to-person relationship job and you and I knowing that you know the law may say this the contract may say this but at the end of the day we're dealing with humans with real feelings with real emotions that in my case are usually bare lies and me, you know, getting them to a place where we can all stand behind a production and put a big budget behind a show that, you know, the world can enjoy. So, you know, at the first season of Real Housewives of, you know, see, we were, I think, still in high school when that aired. Who knew it would have been the juggernaut that it is now and launched so many careers and it is a staple in pop culture. So when... I knew that I did want to go into entertainment. It was because of growing up at reality TV and saying like, this is what I do every day. Like, this is my hobby. This is, I watch television for sport. I follow these <laughs> guys like it is my job. And then it became my job. So that's the part that it's kind of the meshing of when people say, I thought I, I thought you loved your job. I don't love any job. There's, no, there's nothing to love. It's a job. But do I enjoy the fact that I, if I am going to stay on the phone and email and keyboard all day, because that is 98% of my day, my hands are glued to a keyboard. It makes me feel good to 
say, well, at least I'm doing something I enjoy or that I'd otherwise even be watching. And that's what kind of motivates me to stay in the business that I am. Um, I can go from anywhere from a phone call to with a development exec, production, finance, or talent who's happy, unhappy with how their shoot is going or, you know, what kind of support that they feel like they're getting online. Sometimes they're upset. They're really excited. You know, the best calls that I get are, you know, talent are starting their own business and they want to launch a this and they're really excited about getting to their fans for their books and all of that. Like that's mm. super exciting because then it goes beyond the television screen or the streaming platform. Like then it's like we are really contributing to the um, celebrapreneur ecosystem that is such a like woven into our mainstream, whether we realize it or not. Um, if I go back to why I went into entertainment, truthfully, it's because I was the biggest Hills fan that ever was. Like, <laughs> ever was. I thought I was LC. There was no one who was going to tell me who was, I'm not Lauren Conrad. <laughs> you almost, you basically lived where she lived too. Like, drove the same car she had. I had the pink suitcases. It was a different time. The kids today would never understand. It was a different I cannot with you. But okay. I say that to say I was, um, there was some vitamin that I was using that I bought from Target and lo and behold, it's low boss words. It's Lowe's, yes. So it's like, yes, The Hills was a made up show. But people say whatever they want to say. You weren't there. Okay. You were not there. You don't Jennifer. And, you know, Jennifer has gone on to be. Sorry. Jennifer, is that the fact? The show was fake. <laughs> it was what? Was fake. It was fake. fake. It, it was, was um, encouraged by people. <laughs> <laughs> Look, nothing is fake, right? It's nothing not is fun, real. But nothing is real. <laughs> that's good. That's, that's really good, Lamar. You should Thank you, Jennifer. That. Thank you. Nothing is fake, but also nothing is real. Is real. Very yeah. I love it. That's what it is. That's LA. That's LA. And that's, I think, uh, the business yeah. as a whole, not, not, it, not just what you do, but just the entertainment business. And sure. if you don't know that, I think that's when you fail in the industry. If you don't understand that, you are setting yourself up to fail. That's right. That's right. In sports, in entertainment, mm. in really like it's it's a little bit of a a rose colored glass over it. But mm. then once you kind of see it for what it is, and you don't let yourself get too entrenched in the like you're actually making like I did life decisions based on what people you've never met are telling you to do, then you know you can kind of understand that it's mostly for fun and fodder. Mm, mm, mm. That's a good point. That's a good point. And I think it's important to emphasize. I think that you need to go to law school where you want to work. Yeah. Yeah. I think the pandemic and re introducing remote work as a real option has broken a lot of boundaries. But in the return to work world where that's opening back up, even in hybrid models or even 100% mm. remote models, I think 
we're still going to see a value, a real value in the per- person. And that's going to require you to be in the city where you want to be. I had a real advantage in living in LA and getting an internship yeah. at off cycle to be able to work there during the school year. Cause I would go to biz mm-hmm. at 9am and at 1230, I'd be driving down over. Like I couldn't do that if I, if I lived elsewhere. So even if you're not going to law school in LA or New York or Atlanta or Miami or wherever you want to work, I would seriously look the opportunities of doing semesters in those cities where we had lots of students in our class where I'd be like, hey, uh, oh yeah, I'm at, you know, University of Michigan, but I'm doing a semester here. Or I mean, I'm from Atlanta, but I'm doing a semester here. Or, All the people who did the study abroad through Southwest, those were the opportunities to oh, get. Oh yeah. Lots of people were here for a semester or two and they were so great because they knew that, listen, I only have a semester or two in LA. They got the best internships. They were at the best networking events because they were hungry. And I had a, a good uh, feel for that too, because I was, you know, a New Yorker in LA, knowing that I was going to have to work harder than the people who were born in LA and lived there their entire lives. And, you know, knew or, you know, were very familiar with the space. Oh, I can't believe there, there was a time you didn't live here. (laughs) Well, I was about to say, if I lived here for 12, save two. So like 10 and I'm going to, you know, I'm in my, like, I've almost, it's a lot of time. It's almost evened out. Let me think. Almost. If I'm thinking about adult years, for sure. Adult years, for sure. Adult years, for sure. Yeah. Adult years, yeah. for sure. Um, do you see a lot of, are there NDAs in every single contract you ever touch? Like, is it an attachment on everything? Yeah. Definitely. And if, you know, it's confidentiality is one of the most important things in the industry. Mm. Being able to preserve not only our, like across the industry, tech, entertainment, sports, being able to preserve the confidentiality is so important because um, in the market system that we are in, the ability to have an exclusive access or to that information to, or to that person or to, you know, whatever um, materials that they have can be the difference between coming up on top or not as a, as a platform. So, you know, sometimes I see um, not, not even in entertainment, but just in general, like people using the NDAs as just a like, Oh, it's just a piece of paper, but there are real consequences that can come to when you, when you break that confidentiality and um, even if they're not legal at the end of the day, this is a relationship business. And if you are someone who is not really able to keep important and privileged information confidential, that can really affect who you work with or who you, you know, deal with in the future. And that's this longer term role that I wish people, students, workers, celebrities, everyone that kind of just paid more attention to. Yeah, that's such a good point. And I think I need to let everyone know that any technical difficulties, I am going to blame on Jennifer. Please. It's 100% my fault. Literally 100% my fault. If it starts thunderstorming and lightning in the middle of this podcast, it will be my fault. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I love you. It's so funny because people always, uh, with with the NDA talk, all they want to know is, um, 
can X person, now that they're not friends with this other person, they probably signed an NDA. Can they break it? If they break it, how much do they pay? And what happens, right? I think we saw that with the Jordan Woods and Kylie Jenner drama, right? When uh, Jordan and Tristan had their entanglement, whatever, and people thought Jordan's going to talk. No, she can't talk. She has an NDA. So you see a lot of that with, you know, celebrities going to events. Mm-hmm. Right. Celebrities yeah. being on set for something. That's um, right. But do we see a lot of NDAs in just regular celebrity relationships, you think? You know, I don't think so. Um, it's just even as someone who works in the business, it's still a very foreign concept to me how businessy relationships sometimes are required to be. Um, but yes, as a real reality, because I don't know, I kind of view it a little bit as a prenup. Like if everything goes well, then great. You don't ever have to pull this piece of paper out. It really only comes into play when things go wrong. And the reality is anything can happen. Anyone who's a friend one day can be an enemy another, and they could be privy to real confidential, important and exclusive information that the other party really doesn't want them blabbing out. And look, it's so fact specific, but even if there isn't an NDA in place, sometimes the person just says, I'm not gonna talk about it because their personal reasons are. And sometimes just relying on that can be even stronger than sign paper, but you just never know. I think there is a real, in this culture where it's like a jump to information and they wanna be the first Mm. and they wanna be the, you know, exclusive, juicy content. Um, there should be a pause in the information we are sharing and why, in my opinion. Um, but look, there's a real money and compensation attached to having that information. And sometimes that can drive decisions as well. So great point. So you said something interesting. You said, in my opinion, and I posted a TikTok where I was letting everyone know, I understand you're not all attorneys, but you are pushing information as fact when it is not. And there was a lot of that while the Johnny and Amber case was going on. And I've seen, you know, now there's a push and pull with mainstream media and social media. A lot of, um, People are now seeing, the audience is now seeing that the information, when you're watching a trial, right, and you're in the courtroom and social media is presenting it as exactly what it was, they go and compare it to mainstream media and they're like, were we watching the same thing. And during that is when I was approached by court TV, other different, you know, mainstream traditional media entities that now want social media creators on their platforms. So I'm thinking social media is just the best place to be if you want to break into traditional media. Absolutely. It has broken down the walls and the, you know, it used to be this gatekeeping thing that if you are not represented by the best agent from the best agent, you would never, never even have a conversation. 
access to these traditional media platforms or streaming platforms. And now it's almost as if you're not going to have a conversation with them until you're able to build up your social media presence. And I love it because you don't have to be the traditional beauty. You don't have to be the, you know, more, most decorated, educated, like anybody can post content. Mm. And some of the best, funniest, most viral moments from the past couple of years are the most quote unquote amateur material that was shot on a phone um, from like an inside joke dance or something that has now catapulted these real personalities now into big name, major brand deals, um, streaming um, or televised events, like all of the um, TikTokers or on Instagram, but let's really focus on TikTok because I think that's the best example right now, who used to comment on what people were wearing or, you know, celebrity relationships or like you on the celebrity divorces, who are now the it voice of court TVs, of EUs, of what, what have you, two, maybe even three years ago, that was a really hard space to even find yourself in. And now it's like everyone clamoring to get the next whoever. Um, I remember before the pandemic, it was like before the shutdown was the NBA finals. Oh, no, not at the NBA finals. It was the, um, God, what is it called? Not the final. They do like I the don't know, finals. but I remember because we were together. Weren't yes. we? Friend? Yeah. Yes. And the only reason I'm bringing up, what is it called? The only reason I'm bringing it up because they were called the TikTok girls back then. Oh my God. But it was Charlie and it was, it was oh. all of them that only me who downloaded the app knew were and everyone, they did the halftime show and they did the, you know, renegade dance and everything and no one knew who it was. And I thought it was so cute because it was on this little app. And these are now six, seven, eight, nine overtime million earners. Millionaires. Who, that's right. I think I saw Charlie ranking at like the same as like the CEOs of companies. So take that with what you want, right? And, and good for her and good for everyone else who's able to um, exploit, but in a positive way, the system, right? Because there's money to be out there and there are products to be sold and there are, you know, information to share. And so long as it's an open forum and people are really given the same kind of access because with the unfettered access means that it does end up getting um, cut out and voices getting cut out in real way. And that's going to be the, the, the land that we live in now to start really attacking because you're not seeing the black and brown faces that created the dance or started the trend and they're not given that same platform. So we do have a real issue there, but down the walls that were like, we are only the networks are the content creators and nobody else can have access to it has been completely demolished. And I embrace it. I think it's so exciting. I mean, people are doing it from their campus, from their bedroom for it's so great. And it's so funny and it's so addicting. And I like so excited for it. I love it. I, I love, love it. it. I, when the verdict came out for Johnny and Amber, it was me and a few other creators <laughs> getting the same calls everywhere to mm -hmm. be on so many of the same things. And we would just connect with each other. And it's like, I can't even text you back because I can't breathe this week. I love Certain, it. 
so much going on and they wanted all of us. And it's funny because we used to, I mean, you and I with our friends from law school used to sit there and watch like CNN and you see the talking heads and it's like, wow, these really mature, much older, smart. (laughs) And you know, at the time it was unattainable. Yes. And now it's, you're booked another week. You'll be next week. Like you'll be booked every week into the next, like, it's just so great. It's so great. It's crazy. It's crazy. Let's move on to, I know you've watched this movie. I have not. Top Gun. Can we talk about Top Gun? Yeah, let's Okay. Okay. Your summary. (laughs) Your summary of the movie. Listen, I think I did see it when I was younger because my uncle, I used to always just watch movies my uncle would watch because he would babysit us and always hang out with us. Um, So I'm positive I've seen Top Gun, obviously, Tom Cruise movie, fine, Scientologist. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> you saw the first one and then you saw the most recent one, right? Can you give us a summary of what it's about? Because your summary is hilarious to me. Oh, gosh, I hope I remember it because I, I did think of something funny. I saw the first one for the first time last and then being the second one. It is a... What did I say? It was funny. And Lord knows I'm not going to be funny. It was really funny. It was it was something just about, and this doesn't ruin it, but Top Gun is a school. That's right. And I didn't know that. I I didn't know that. I thought it was like a war movie. It really comes down to, so you're right. Let me not ruin it. It really comes down to the relationship between male students at flight school. Like, and everything yeah. that kind of comes from that. It could have, the same plot line could have been like a Gossip Girl episode or, you know, a college. Like it's the same fundamental relationships when you put young men in one area, you just threw in fighter pilots. Mm. And that was the top gun of it all. <laughs> um, it was not my cup of tea, but I do think that if you watch the first and then watch the second, they made so many different correlations between it that it was somewhat of a treat to kind of see how they evolved like in real time, like years later. Um, Val Kilmer did really, really great. And, you know, he's had his health struggles. So it was really that was really nice to see him kind of reprise his role there. Um they did definitely made it more diverse. There was a woman student this time. There was a black wow. male fighter this time. So that was really nice to see. Um, it was great. I mean, look, if you're a Tom Top Gun or Tom Cruise fanatic, this is going to be your jam. There we go. Are there are there Tom Cruise fanatics still? You think? I, think, I think so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. I yeah, yeah. Right. And look, I'm the one who falls asleep in fall asleep in movie, and I didn't fall asleep. So, and it was packed three or four weeks after premiere. So I'm. Oh my god! I forgot you had to see it in a movie theater. Legitimate movie theater. You went to a movie theater to watch this movie. Yeah, yeah. and he did. Um, this doesn't ruin it. He did like a message in the beginning, like thanking everyone because this movie has been delayed for a long time because of the pandemic. And I think there were real um, conversations about whether they were going to release it like straight to home and they ended up holding it in 
putting in the movie theater. So Tom Cruise has like a sitting on a couch. I like, thank you so much for coming to the movies to see this. Oh, that's really, really sweet. Yeah. Oh, I do. I hope like it's that. sweet. But it's a good business call. <laughs> I don't know. The bar is on the floor for everything. The bar is on the floor. You're so right. I'm You're not. so right. You're no. so right. And so have oh. you heard about the copyright infringement lawsuit with Top Gun? Yes. It's it's again, I haven't seen it, but we see a lot of these suits happening all the time. And I could just yes. never follow because sometimes the way I think that it should go is not the way that it does go. And it might have to do with, you know, my area of practice is family exactly. law. Right. So I don't know. These suits are always crazy. They're so complicated. They're so involved. They're so intricate that, I mean, there's an entire practice and in intellectual property that I'm also not in who focuses on what the rights are of who, how, and when to be able to exploit it. I wish I knew you know, more about it or be able to opine more on it, but yes, it happens every single day. Every single day, every single day. And with the rise of social media, I see people all the time thinking that they know what kind of lawsuit someone who is on social telling us about their personal life, who should, who they should sue for what. And typically they're mostly wrong. Yes. From what I see, yeah. they're mostly wrong. And I tell people like, just don't comment. Just don't just comment. Don't. And call a lawyer. And call a lawyer. That's what we need to tell them. Just call, call a lawyer. lawyer. Call a professional. <laughs> like, yeah. Google's not going to do it. Legal's not going to do it. Lawyers, I understand they're expensive and I get it. But call a lawyer. It's so worth it. It's so it's worth it. It's so worth it. It's so, so worth it. Um, so right now, I think there are students who are studying for the bar, right? It's still July and February, right? Yes. <sighs> it's like uh, your technical issues didn't allow us to hear what you said. Oh, getting hot. When you say the bar, I get a little bit <laughs> Yeah, I mean, talk about PTSD. We are post yeah. that. Yeah. And I still, you know, I I used to have nightmares. Yeah. Nightmares. Oh, yeah. So Jenny and I studied together for the bar. And when I tell you during law school, I did not study with anyone ever. I didn't want to be bothered. I yeah. would I would study in the basement of the library yes. with no That's windows right. around me. Yes, yes, yes. 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 <laughs> and <laughs> and I was upstairs with like a 10 person study group, pizza. Yep. Like, <laughs> yep. If I ever did that, it was for social reasons and right. definitely not right. to study. Um, right. And then I started studying with our other best friend, Amir. And then we saw Jenny who... <laughs> She was studying by herself, but she was in a lecture hall by herself. The whole room. <laughs> she had the whole Theater, room. Ergonomic desk. Oh my God. And we started studying together. And thank you, God. We both passed the first time, which just for anyone, whether you pass or not, the first try is not detrimental to your life or your career at all at all but it does feel good to pass the first time only because because you don't have to take it again <laughs> so is there any advice you think we could even give to anyone studying for the bar my advice typically is get off of all forms of social media and isolate yourself 
everything will be there when you come back. 100%. And I was an am, but like at the time was a for real, for real social media addict and had to remove everything because of not even the time spent necessarily, because it's not as if you have too much time to spend on it, but the FOMO and the like seeing everybody else enjoy their summers and going away was too much for me. Um, and I needed to just isolate myself and cut myself off completely from the world. I deleted Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I put in a away message on my Gmail. Like I'm not checking this. Like I'm not doing. Oh, you went all out. Yeah, I definitely did. Cause I'm like a zero out person. Like I answer all of my emails every single day. So the fact that I wouldn't like think or just instinctively go to it. Um, but whatever setting I had on Gmail didn't even let them come through until I said like, okay, I want to see the email. So I was a little bit crazy about it, but I needed to be because I had to isolate myself into this make-believe world that we talk about that where for that three months, the test is the most important thing to focus on. Um, my advice is going to sound maybe weird in these times where you know hard work is not celebrated <laughs> that is funny and are now you reference to the beyonce song what are what are you is that what you're referencing yes. <laughs> or even in this like and look i i get it like this like I, you know i get it but in the words of Kimberly Kardashian, <laughs> nobody wants to work these days. So like, look, maybe right message, wrong messenger. So allow me, the person who does get up to work every single day to say it, you need, you need to work the hardest you've ever had in, in your entire life. And you've got to want it more than anything up until that point than you probably wanted in your life because it's a necessary barrier to entry. I don't agree with it. I don't think that there's anything on the bar that I ever really use in practice. And that's, that's fine, but there's nothing I can do about it. I'm not a licensed attorney until I take the bar. So for, you know, getting into that space and getting into the world, yes, you do need to laser focus, laser focus and put it before anything. And I know I get it. We are like now you know, we've gone through a pandemic and we realize work and money and everything that's not every, that's true. But you still have to take the bar. So for that three months, and it's a it sounds like a long time. And when we were in it, I mean, we were going crazy at points. Like we were oh my God. we were eating Subway. We were at eating point. Subway by choice. And we would look at each other like this is the best thing I ever the ate. Best, most tasty, deli like that's how you know we lost it. But when it came time to look, we compare it to like an athlete, right? By the time we were, the test day came, we were LeBron. There was nothing that was going to be on that test that we, our study group was not going to knock out the park. And I mean, nothing, but that's because we were shooting in the gym, like LeBron for three months. Yes. So be like LeBron. Be like Muhammad, be like Beyonce, like pick whoever you see as the elevated, like most, you know, the pinnacle of their career, Steph Curry, whatever. And then rewind back to how they got to that point and be like that. Yes. I think I had a quote. 
I don't know, I had some Muhammad Ali quote, you know, taped up in the study room, but now I would have taped the Kim one, like the work one, like they're just drive to be that. Drive to be the hardest working person who wants it more than everyone else. Because look, that life of that soft life, that life of luxury, that like life of opulence. Yeah, that comes. But because of the work you put in, then it's not handed to you. It's not given to you. It just doesn't fall into your lap. And that's the part about social media that I wish people also understand. Like we weren't online in 2013. They didn't see us crying depressed, sad, eating 9.99, you know, like disgusting <laughs> foods and never seeing the daylight and wearing the same leggings every day. They see you now with 500,000 followers on TikTok and the most glamorous speaking, talking head is the most perfect thing that they want to aspire to. They weren't there in 2010 when you were taking your finals or studying for the bar or whatever. Like there's a the rhyme that comes to this that I wish people saw. And I wish people like us were more honest about. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There are there are creators that are honest about it. And I envy them and I admire them because I still am only comfortable speaking to my best friends about that type of stuff. Right. I would never I don't want it to live online because it doesn't help me get over it. Agreed. Right. Okay. So I don't yeah. I don't really like to memorialize those sure. things yeah. because I'm not at a place where I could even help anyone. Right. You know, like we can't even help you guys at this point. We're not the people to do that. We can tell you how to get here. Yes. Um yeah. But, but we're when not going to sell a course on it. <laughs> yes. Yes. Because we can't, because we can't. And mental health is a big part of it. And I'm happy that there are creators that address all of those things. Um, and yeah, that's a really big, that's a really, really big part of it. And for the record, Jennifer Lamore and our other friend, Amir, we had a pact when we took yeah. the bar. Oh God. We yeah. said, <laughs> Wait, hold on. Before I even say this, we <laughs> Jennifer. Yeah, if you're on YouTube, you can see Jennifer. She is full of shame, and she should be. Okay? Shame <laughs> because we had a pact that when results came out, none of us would tell each other. Okay, because you never know. We could study and know everything. Test day is different. There's so much more that goes into it, right? So we all told each other, "Don't tell one another." Let's just like, whether you pass or not, we're not telling each other. When I tell you, <laughs> I passed and I was so happy and I turned my phone over and I'm like, why is Je Jennifer texting us? What did she write? I passed. She expletive, didn't know. Expletive, expletive, expletive. Yes. She didn't know if I passed. She didn't know if Amir passed. You could have rubbed that in our faces while we were on the edge. But I knew you guys did. Jennifer. There was not a test that was going to be thrown at us that we weren't. Jennifer C. Duval. It's easy I felt it. to say you felt it now. Okay. But thank you, God, that we did pass. And I think we should end this off with our story about um what we did the night before results. 
So I'm going to let you tell the story because I am so forgetful. So go ahead, Jennifer. So we, because we sacrificed so much during the bar and we put, we missed every birthday dinner, parents, this, I mean, we were so dedicated. We promised ourselves that on the other side that we would do and make sure that we had the experience that we missed out on. So Drake was going on tour for nothing. Thing was the same. Hmm. I think it was nothing was the same. We had the white sweaters. With I was going to say, we have a picture and I think it was nothing was the same. It had to be. Had yeah. So anyway, we, but at the top, the day before the bar results came in, it was in Anaheim. So we packed up the car and I think we, we both had work that day and the next day. Yep. Packed up the car, drove down, had an amazing time. It was the tour where he was like, flying yes that's right and like talking to everyone like in the crowd it was great did you say something to us no because we were in boxes because we remember we didn't like get like the regular seats i remember because we were like oh we should have sat in the audience but because we wanted to have this you know great experience we sat in the box he didn't say the girls in the white the girls in the nothing was maybe we told ourselves he did i think we told ourselves i could live with that i can live with that totally live in that i could totally live in that um but we drove back the next morning bleary-eyed tired but so happy we had a blast i think like we were you're so happy when you're so young and carefree and nothing like we could get up at five o'clock in the morning after being at a concert all night and get to work to be at our desk at 9 a.m. the same day, knowing that, okay, results are coming up. But regardless, we put everything into it. We had zero regrets. We had the time of our lives. And then it was capped off by both of us passing. Both of us passing. All of us. All three of us passing. Not just Jennifer who texted us. <laughs> Not just Jennifer. And then, of course, we all went out. We oh had a time. We had a time. I think it- we celebrated for a year. I think we celebrated for a year. I think I'm still celebrating. I, I still cannot still believe and we I, deserve it. <laughs> yes, we so, so deserve it. And now look at us 10 years into it. That's insane. What a ride. What a crazy That's ride. Insane. Jennifer, I love you and I know how to reach you. Can you tell people how to reach you? Yes. Uh, it is Jennifer C. Duval on Instagram. And I think my TikTok handle is Champagne Problem 724. Is it 724? I thought it was just seven. My TikTok, Champagne Problem 7. Seven. I'm going to check. I'm going to check. Let me put the volume down. Let me check. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Champagne Problem 7. Okay, her birthday is 724, just like Jennifer. That's what it is. Right, right, right. (laughs) Champagne Problem 7. But I think it's because Jennifer C. Duval was taken. So I just made up something. Who... Who? I don't know. I know. I like champagne problems though. It's cute. It's very, very cute. And you are very, very cute. And if you're not watching on YouTube, you should, because like I said, when you tell your best friend you're gonna record with them, and this is how they come on. This is how they come on. Only something a best friend will do. I love you so I love you. Much. Thank more you, the more. Ever know. I love you. Thank you so much. I love you. Bye, guys.
This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The opinions expressed on this podcast are not legal advice that can be relied on. They are based solely on the limited information provided. These opinions do not create any attorney-client relationship. Those seeking legal advice should contact an attorney in the appropriate jurisdiction and practice area.